Welcome again one more time for any new folks that are here joining us. Welcome. I'm so excited to get into today's material. Today I will be speaking from the heart with the assistance of my handy dandy notes, which live over here. That's why I glance this way on empowered communication. We're going to go over some larger overarching principles that you can apply in different contexts. So this will be empowered communication techniques and principles that you can take to your interpersonal conversations, you know, perhaps things you have with coworkers, team, your superiors in the workplace, and communication techniques that you can bring when you speak one to many. So in your content, in your presentations, in your emails, etc. And when something is more specific to one vehicle or context versus another, I will note that and loops will be open, which are really opportunities that we'll have in the future to dive more deeply into these specific contexts. Why is empowered communication a forcing factor, a leverageable thing? A few reasons, right? Because if you are the you who can communicate in a powerful fashion, it creates a positive feedback loop for your confidence. It gives you clarity on what's really important to you, what your values and principles are, and what you stand for. The more empowered you are in the way you communicate and in what you communicate, the more likely you will be to flatline the naysayers and the doubters. And I ran through a few words in my head in the notes before I landed on flatline because I don't know so much about converting naysayers or destroying naysayers. Just seems uh, like potentially poor use of resources, but flatlining them so that they no longer say nay to you seems useful. So the more empowered you are in your communication, the more able you will be to flatline the naysayers. The more happy and magnetic a networker you will be. Empowered communication is a form of self-care. Our words fuel our thoughts, our thoughts fuel our words. And if we're happy with what we're communicating and we're clear on why we say the things we say, the more care we're taking over ourselves, our energy, our bandwidth, our businesses, and our principles. There is also a quote you may have heard before. It goes something like, success is proportionate to the number of hard conversations we have. Meaning, according to the quote, if we have more hard conversations, we will be more successful. I don't know about hard. The hope is, as you become a more empowered communicator, that conversations don't feel hard, but you may have uncommon conversations with a level of ease that you would never expect. You know, you've probably experienced before. Let me know in the chat if you've ever had the gift of this experience. You have an uncommon or challenging conversation with someone, but you're able to do it with even energy, you're able to listen and say your piece and you are heard. 
and you just feel like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, it's a, a good rubric uh, for somebody you're going to be in a good relationship with, right? When you're able to have that type of conversation and you look back and say, wow, you know, anytime in my past I had a conversation with this sort of emotional intensity and this amount of emotional weight behind it, it used to devolve into a fight. There would be tears. Nobody would be clear. But when you have that conversation and it doesn't end up that way, you're like, oh my God. And it feels so good. So the more strategies you have, the more clarity you have on how to be an empowered communicator, the more often that will be the emotional tone of these conversations. And it's awesome to hear that so many of you have had that experience. And so what I'm going to offer you today are more ways to engineer that so it's a more common outcome for you. And of course, it stacks on some of the material we have gone through in past lessons, right? So we talked about not discrediting our contribution. We talked about developing more confidence by executing on the commitments that we have made. So if you're like, okay, I'm going to stick to my commitments. Okay, I know my contribution should not be discounted. How am I going to say the things that I want to contribute. And that's where this lesson comes into play. I mentioned this being a positive feedback loop. You feel empowered in what you say. You say the thing, you feel good about it, and it's a virtuous cycle that just keeps on going and going. I'm going to very quickly share my screen to make one important point about positive feedback loops. I got a if you can just see the very simple image of one right here, and this is the example of music, right? You play lots of music, you practice a lot, you get better at it, you feel good, therefore you want to play more and so on and so forth. My point here is it doesn't matter where you enter the loop. <laughs> it doesn't matter which comes first. So as you begin to practice some of the principles of empowered communication that you're about to learn, you can do it before you feel completely confident in it. And in doing it, you will grow confidence and you'll be able to do it more. Or I'll get to hype you up on this call. You'll feel really good and you'll already feel confident in doing it. And then you'll do it and then you'll feel confident again. And then you want to do it more. This is a larger principle that applies to way more than just communicating, right? It doesn't matter where you enter the positive feedback loop. Just get in there and start doing it. So I wanted to share that with you really quickly. What gets in the way, though? In fact, let's do this real quick. If you could rate your communication skills one to five right now, five being I always say exactly what I want, my message gets across, and everybody understands where I'm at, or a one being... I have no idea what I'm doing when I communicate. I am overwhelmed. I sit quietly. I want to say things, but I don't. Where would you sort of rank yourself on that spectrum of one to five in terms of communication? Twos between three and four. The incredible Carolyn Santo with a four plus. Some threes. Good. Maria's at a four. That's awesome. Two and a half. Sweet. So it's my hope that no matter what level you are at, you will get 
a little boost, half a point to a one point boost, thanks to the material we go through on this call today. So what gets in the way? Why are we not all fives? And we may argue we're always moving to five, but never fully get there. That's fine. Why are we not all fours and halves and fives? Well, we have deeply programmed evolutionary desires. Matt knows where I'm going. <laughs> evolutionary design, you know, designs and incentives to be liked, to be accepted into the group. We are social creatures. And that conditions us in a lot of ways to shrink or edit the things that we want to say so that we do not risk being misunderstood or disliked. So that tends to hold us back from being truly empowered communicators. And along with that is this feeling that we need to prove ourselves in order to be liked and to be accepted, especially when we're all business people here and we all attend a lot of business events, networking events, where we slip into a performative role. It happens all the time. So we do the dance. I've accomplished this. I can do that. Hoping that we're able to prove ourselves so that we're accepted. And so we're liked so that we're revered and admired. But that doesn't always make you feel very powerful, does it? When you lapse into performance and do the performative dance. Another thing that tends to hold us back, which may seem counterintuitive, is the principle of doing whatever it takes, which can often be a useful thing that we tell ourselves, right? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get X. I will do whatever it takes. But when we're doing whatever it takes, we could lose ourselves in that. It becomes self-effacing and we don't feel as empowered in our communication, we might lose some of our boundaries. And when we're not communicating our boundaries, we don't feel very empowered, do we? And we'll talk a little bit more about how to communicate our boundaries and what I think are pretty clever ways that I don't hear anybody else talk about in just a moment. We're also conditioned within the people-pleasing category to predict, to attempt to predict, and then account for the feelings and emotions of others before we've even let them have a feeling or an emotion. You know, one of my former coaching clients and friends would hate to say the words, I'm a singer, I'm an artist, I'm a creator, because she felt that in saying those things, other people would feel some type of way about it, right? Other people might feel deficient if she comes out here and says, I'm a singer, I'm an artist. Now, we can look at this from the outside and logically say, well, you know, that's not really true. <laughs> but does the logic matter if she's been silencing herself for so long out of fear of making other people feel less than? But really, she's doing a ton of mental gymnastics and she's creating this whole cognitive battle for herself out of a desire to control the emotions of other people, which again, logically and in reality, we know that we cannot do. In fact, it doesn't serve your audience to hold back out of fear of making them feel any type of way. 
because you're not giving them the opportunity to have the feeling. It could be that if you stood in front of your audience and authentically are saying, I'm an artist, I'm a singer, or I'm a badass in some sort of way, if members of your audience do feel a tinge of jealousy, or if they do feel like, you know, why, why am I not there yet? That can become an empowering feeling for them. It could motivate them to do something, especially if you teach them to turn feelings of jealousy and lack into motivation. But if you never say the thing, you don't give them the opportunity to experience that level up. You're trying to baby them and that's not fair to them. And of course, that thought pattern of, I don't want to say this because it may appear cocky, is maladaptive for you. So that's been getting in our way. And you're going to get some actionable strategies to not do that anymore. In fact, a huge overarching principle of empowered communication is your level of consciousness, right? Because... The thought of, I don't want to say this because it may come off braggy or I may look cocky. Your ability to catch that thought is your consciousness. The thought itself is not consciousness. That's ego. And this applies to every single thought you have. And that's why we talk so much about watching our thoughts and catching them and being able to ask ourselves, Is this really true? Does this serve me? How is this thought pattern manifesting and playing out in my life? How is it affecting my behavior? That's consciousness. The thought itself tends to be ego. And so the more we practice catching our thoughts in this way, the stronger our consciousness becomes. We're working the muscle of consciousness. To bring this to communication, how can you get more comfortable with saying these things? That's the ninja level up. So I offer you not just, yeah, go ahead. When you're feeling like bragging, quote unquote, about something, you don't have to just, all right, Laura told me to put it on and and get out there and brag more. You can communicate your consciousness and say things like, I realize that I'm concerned about how you're going to perceive this. I worry that you may feel like I'm bragging. Now you're at such a higher level of communication, right? Versus a little bit of the fake it till you make it. No, just go ahead and brag. It's good. You can very honestly communicate whatever issues you may have with bragging, And of course, you could swap out bragging for anything under the sun. Is that helpful? Is that a helpful realization? And that is a muscle. The consciousness part of catching it is a muscle. Putting it into words and saying the thing is another muscle. So it's something you could continue to work on with time. And of course, people are thinking about themselves, right? And I find this particularly helpful for me in networking situations where I'm in my head and I'm worried about what I'm going to say next, what I'm going to do, how am I going to do this? I'm in performance mode, which we all slip into. I'll quite literally look at the mouth (laughs) of the person talking 
and remind myself they're thinking about the words that are coming out of their mouth. Let me do the same. <laughs> Let me listen to and think about the words that are coming out of their mouth and stop thinking so much about the thing I said five minutes ago or the thing I want to say when they're done or any of that stuff. It's an exercise in presence. It's very difficult for somebody to think one thing and be saying another. <laughs> so generally, when somebody is talking to you, they are thinking about the words that are coming out of their mouth and you can do the same. It frees you up from being in performance mode. So how do you take some of this stuff and authentically become a more empowered communicator, right? The authenticity is so important here. So I may offer you some language and some lines that really resonate with you, that you're like, oh yeah, I could use a framing device like that. And some that might not resonate with you. The whole point is to take what resonates with you and leave what does not. Because if you're just taking what Laura says, I don't know how empowered you're going to be if it's not authentic to you. And that's why a lot of my stuff tends to be fill in the blank, right? I may give you the prompt. I may give you the first few words to get you generating, but you need to fill in the blanks with what is authentic to you. And here are a few questions to help you along with that. What is your scope? Given a certain context, what is your scope? If you are on a discovery call or a sales call, prior to that, write down what your scope is. What are you able to help with? Anything beyond that is not in your scope. And instead of trying to pretend like it is, I offer you the empowered line of, I would love to help you there, but that is beyond my scope. When I see somebody else saying things like that, what do I tend to think? I'm like, oh, they're a badass. They know what they're doing. They know where their strengths are and where they are not. I trust that person more. I know they're not trying to be everything under the sun. So we're all familiar, I assume, with the phrase, that's not in my scope. But I don't know how often we turn around and define what our scope actually is. So that we're clear on when we're going to say that versus when we are not. So what is your scope? And you could break that down into different contexts. If you're going to be on a podcast, if you're going to go live on social media, what is your scope within that context? What are your principles? What do you care about? And you'll see as we dive in further here, situations to communicate those principles to others. What are those boundaries? What do you not do? When do you not work? What type of people do you not work with? Which audiences can you not help? The more you have those ready to go in those buckets, the more you're able to fill in the blanks of empowered communication with your own language, your own values, your own principles. One of mine as an example is I very rarely will give a prescriptive answer. I will very rarely say, this is the end-all be-all answer in every single context and every situation. So you tend to hear that come out of me a lot. And I have that in my back pocket comfortably when people ask me questions. <laughs> Laura, is it this or is it that? What do I usually say? It depends. 
You can feel, feel very powerful in not answering the question in the way it was asked. If you know what your principles are, if you know what's valuable to you, so that's all some overarching stuff to reflect on, to journal about, to get clear on how that pertains to you. I'm going to rattle off a few other important points, all of which I've learned or more deeply explored with one of my incredible mentors, Dan Nicholson. He's in the Mindset and Messaging Mastery Facebook group. He's kind of watching me and watching the things that I do there. So I'm calling this the Dan Nicholson Corner. First, remember, we talked about this last week. Consensus comes last. Consensus comes last. So often, we're out of the gate trying to seek consensus from our coworkers, from our peers, from our audience, from our family. But that actually comes last in the process. You've got to do the thing. You've got to move forward. You've got to get your data and your information. And then other people tend to come on board. So we'll stop shooting ourselves in the foot, seeking consensus as a first step when it is, in fact, most of the time, the last step. Another thing Dan has taught me is the differentiation between nice and respectful. When we're trying to predict and then control the feelings of others, We might think that we're trying to be nice, but it's not very respectful of another human being to do that, is it? Wouldn't you much rather have somebody say to you the things they need to say to you, let you know what the truth is of whatever situation, even if it hurts a little bit, they're respecting you as an autonomous individual to be able to handle whatever information needs to be said. So anytime you feel yourself lapsing into nice, you could tell yourself, well, I prioritize being respectful. And again, that's a principle. Everybody might not agree with it. I hope most of you do. But if you really, if it's more important to you to be nice than to be respectful, you may want to analyze that. Another one from Dan. Align versus agree. Agreement is pretty heavy. And so the example Dan always uses is, have you ever, are you ever in relationship with somebody who really cares about how you load the dishwasher? (laughs) And they're always going to be like, look, the cups go here in the dishwasher. That's where they go. But you think the cups go somewhere else. You might not get them to agree with you, (laughs) but you could ask them to align with you. Look, what we, most, what we both most care about is having clean dishes. Yes? <laughs> okay. Can we get into alignment here that however we load the dishwasher, the dishes are going to be clean and it's going to be done? Okay, great. Of course, that's a simple example. But that's another principle you can run in your head. I don't need to ask for agreement. I don't need to always ask for somebody to change their opinions. But if I could get them to align with me on the greater principle... Because ultimately, so many of the people that you're in close relationship with, you guys want the same thing. Generally, you guys want the same outcome. You want the people that you love to be happy and fulfilled. They want the same for you. You guys might have different ideas on the path to get there. So you don't need to agree on the path. But can we get into alignment that this thing is important to the both of us? 
so much more empowered, right? And so those three principles, consensus comes last, nice versus respectful, agree versus align. Again, all things I learned from the wonderful man, Dan Nicholson, and his book uh, that just came out fairly recently is called Rigging the Game. So if anybody wants to show him a little bit of support for downloading stuff to me that I can in turn download to you, you can check out his book. It's called Rigging the Game. It's on Amazon. So that's the Dan Nicholson corner. (laughs) He's also the one who taught me the six word update, which I'll get into at the end. If for any new folks here who don't know what the six word update is, how we do it and why. I will move into some tactical tips for empowered communication now. These are particularly helpful in the networking setting. When you feel, and it's a consciousness worker as well, when you feel something, you can say it. (laughs) When you feel awkward, you can say it. When you feel nervous, you could say it. When you feel like you're slipping into some proving energy, you could say it. I do it all the time. Oh, I feel a little anxious right now. What do people do? They want to support you. They want to help you. They want to make you feel better. They feel more bonded to you. They know you. You're vulnerable. They get a better understanding of you. So much more empowered, in my opinion, than trying to mask the feeling and pretend to be a badass all of the time. The real strength, the real badassery is how you've worked that consciousness. Ooh, I notice I'm feeling this way. Ooh, I'm going to say it. If you've got water boiling in a pot on the stove and the lid is on, what happens? The water overflows. If you take the lid off, the water does not overflow. The steam gets out. That's what communicating that is. It's the equivalent of taking the lid off of the pot. So I find the quick communication of, oh, I notice I'm feeling like I need to prove myself. That's weird. (laughs) Very helpful in those social situations. Now, a lot of that language is I-based, and that's okay in the networking context, but another tactical application, especially for my copywriters in the group, and I'm shocked by how many copywriters are not really good at this yet. (laughs) So I hope that this helps you a lot right out of the gate. We need to be switching language from I to you, especially in our emails and our social media posts, in presentations and in speeches we do. And so I always do a round of editing where I'm solely looking for the I and checking if I can make it into a you statement. Now, you can't do it all the time, and it might be awkward if you tried to but there's probably going to be anywhere between 30 to 50, maybe sometimes 70 and 80% of the time where you are able to switch I to you. And this also works on -on one-on-one interpersonal communication as well. So if you're sending an email and it's like, I'm reaching out to you today because I wanted to see if blah, 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 man, that's a lot of eyes. So you very simply do a quick round where you're checking. You're hearing from me today because you might be interested in blah, 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 blah. So much more powerful. It's going to be so much more resonant with the person at the other end of the line. Because at the end of the day, we're mostly just thinking about ourselves all the time. And I don't try to do this in the writing phase because it might slow me down. That's the equivalent of writing and editing at the same time. Driving with our feet 
on both the gas and the brake, not the best way to drive. So you just wait to do it until after when you're in that round of revision. So we switch the I to the U. Here's another, this is Ninja. Here's another Ninja one for prepared communications, posts, emails, presentations, etc. Another iteration of working the consciousness, especially for my copywriters here. You're writing about something and you're writing about why it's the best thing <laughs> since sliced bread, right? This is so great. It's so great. It does this. You're going to get this. You're going to feel this way. You're going to have this. I believe that a lot of you will know, and the more you tap into it and the more you practice it, it's another layer of the consciousness. You will know, ooh, I am being very hypey. I'm being very hypey. Call it out. Communicate that part. Because the moment you feel that it's happening, your reader will likely feel the same way. And so some language I like to use for that is, but here's the thing. This won't work if you don't do anything, right? Or this won't work if you don't get the solution. But here's the thing. This doesn't work for everybody, right? So not only is that empowered communication because you're being authentic and you're catching yourself when the hype train is, has left the station, but you're also creating a very effective push-pull dynamic, Right? You're trying to pull them. This is the best thing under the sun. This is so great because X, Y, and Z. What happens when somebody tries to pull you? You go like this, right? But as soon as you turn it around and you cut it a little bit and you say, but here's the problem. But here's the problem with all that. Sounds great, right? But here's the problem. Now that you're pushing away, what do people do? Wait, wait, wait. Come pull me again. I want you to pull me again. That is something... You know, however it comes out, it doesn't really matter, right? If you feel it in the flow of the writing, go with it and write that way. If you have to catch it in a round of revision where you're reading the piece and you're like, oh, hype train left the station right here, might be a good point for me to do a little push instead of all the pulling, perfectly fine. And a lot of you guys will know that. You experience that in the creation of the thing, because I so often hear from my coaching clients, uh, you know, it's like so hypey. I don't want to be so hypey. Okay, say that. Say it. That's how you fix it. And it builds so much trust. Because you're not always saying this is the best thing ever in the whole wide world for everybody, every single minute of every day of the week. So we create that push-pull. And that works every single muscle, Right? the consciousness, the communication, the connection. Helpful? Give me nice nods if that's helpful. Awesome, awesome. So that moves me into another tool of empowered communication that I love. It's one of my favorites. I teach it to my, my coaching clients a lot. And that's embedding stuff. I try to embed Everything. What do I mean by that? I'll do it in, in some examples. So we can embed authority instead of and in addition to declaring 
our authority, right? So declaring your authority would look something like, I have this expertise. I have this experience. I have this credential. That's fine. You can do that sometimes. But what might feel easier and strike your audience in a different way is when you embed it. So instead of just saying, I have this experience, you tell some sort of story where that experience comes out as a detail in the story. So instead of saying, I have my master's in fine arts, I might say something like, my professor in the master's of fine arts program taught me that blah, blah, blah. Now I've embedded the authority. Instead of saying, I helped this client make X, you'd say, when I was helping so-and-so do this, I learned this, or they told me this, or I was challenged with this. So it's another filter I run through. Where can I embed this versus explicitly saying it all of the time? Because it becomes way more resident. resonant. That's the example of embedding authority. You can also embed your availability. If you're a service provider of any sort who is open and available to take on work of some kind. So we could declare it. I'm available for X, Y, and Z. That's fine. You can do that from time to time, but you could also embed it. What are you available for? How do you tell that story? Here's one of my favorites. You can embed your boundaries. You can embed your boundaries. And you explore this. How do you, how could you embed boundaries instead of declaring, I don't work Sundays? That could become valuable information or a lesson that you share with your audience. Here's why I love not working on Sundays. Because I get X, Y, and Z. Z. I can do all of this other stuff. Blah, blah. Now you have sub-communicated to the entire audience that you do not work on Sundays, but you didn't have to be declarative about it. Here's why I love not working on Sundays. Here's why I love muting Slack at 5 p.m. And that's also a useful prompt for you to create a lesson, something valuable that you share with your audience. And you could do that in your interpersonal communications as well. You could do it with your clients. So it's another way of thinking about and creating more empowered communications. You embed stuff. Here's another principle of empowered communications. And I think this one will be really useful because it's quickly actionable. Setting empowered stages. So if you're about to do a presentation or if you're about to get on a call, How do you set the stage for what that presentation is going to look like or what that call is going to be about instead of just, and I'll use the call as an example, so I just stick to one example at a time. Instead of just getting on a call and letting the call go whichever way it may go, how do you set the stage for the call? Hey, I'm so happy you're here with me today. Over the next 20 minutes, we're going to cover X, Y, and Z. Over the next 20 minutes, I am going to ask you a barrage of questions (laughs) because getting clear on where where you're at, what you need is very important to me so that I can best serve you. What do we do? We set the expectation 
and we're communicating some of those values, values and principles we talked about. Clarity is important to me so that I can best serve you. That's why we're doing it this way. Who's in charge now? You are. You open up a sales call like that. It's not an interview now. You're interviewing them. And the time frame is useful too. It sets a very clear expectation. That also subcommunicates that you care about brevity and being effective with the amount of time you have. You can also explicitly say that. I find that when we're focused on this, we're able to accomplish a lot in 20 minutes, which is important to me because your time is hugely valued by me. And this doesn't have to be a lengthy process, but I encourage you before you are about to communicate <laughs> with one or a group of people in some sort of way, ask yourself, what is the stage I'm going to set for this? What's the stage that I'm going to set for this call? What's the stage that I'm going to set for this presentation? A useful framework for setting that stage is what is the other party going to have at the end of it? And how are they going to feel? As an example, you might kick off a presentation with something like, over the next 30 minutes, you're going to learn X, Y, and Z. You're going to have the framework to accomplish this. And I hope by the time this 30 minutes is done, you're going to feel more able to do this than you've ever felt before. What are they going to have? What are they going to feel when it's done? And then you communicate that right in the beginning so people know what they're getting and you're so much more empowered. You are the boss. You are the leader of the exchange. So we set those empowered stages. You can also do that when you're about to have what might be one of those uncommon or challenging conversations. This might be a difficult conversation, but I hope we both feel that it's worth it because we'll get X, we'll get blank. This might be difficult. This might upset you. Feelings might come out. That's okay. We're in a safe container for that. But I hope you see that this conversation will be worth it because X, that's how you set an empowered stage. And you could ask when appropriate, you could ask the other party's permission, right? Or their availability. Are you comfortable with doing this right now? And when I talk about these examples, I'm really thinking about those important conversations we have with loved ones, right? Because you want to make sure that they're open and available and they're ready to have what may be a challenging conversation. And they know what's coming. <laughs> you don't bamboozle them. Because when you bamboozle somebody, they get defensive and it probably won't result in the outcome that you want. But setting the empowered stage can help with that. So we set empowered stages. We also hold our frame, which I teased briefly in some of the groups. So just like you would ask yourself, what is the stage I'm setting? What are the parties at the end of the line going to have and feel after we're done? What's my frame? How am I entering this exchange? If I'm a student and I'm showing up at a conference in my student frame, how would I act? I would ask questions. I would be listening. 
I could even declare or embed that I am an eager student. When I know this and I hold that frame, what goes away? All the proving energy, all the performative dance. It's so funny. We all love the the cliche, the quote, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. And yet we go to these rooms and try to act like the smartest person in the room. (laughs) Disconnect. So when you're in the student frame, can you powerfully own that you're in the student frame? How delightful. You'll find so many people want to educate you and help you (laughs) when you're holding your powerful student frame. When you're on a sales call or a discovery call trying to determine if there's a fit between you and a prospective client, what frame might you hold? The diagnostician frame is a powerful one here. So what is the diagnostician to? They're going to ask a lot of questions. They're going to try to understand these three or four things. They're going to see clarity on that before they offer any prescription, right? To prescribe without diagnosing is malpractice. (laughs) So you powerfully hold the diagnostician frame. If you're on stage or if you're in a community where you're there to teach or mentor people, you would hold the expert frame. So what would I do when I have my expert frame? You would still listen, right? But then you would provide value and instruct and cite your experience. And again, embed it. When I did this, I learned this. So again, it it doesn't have to take you a ton of time. But before you're about to communicate something, you can ask yourself, well, what frame am I in? What frame am I holding? And that could, you'll feel more empowered throughout the whole conversation because you're not trying to juggle every single frame at once. If we don't do this, we end up trying to juggle our humility. Well, I know I'm a student, I'm here to learn, but I also got to prove myself and I'm an expert and I got to listen, but I'm also thinking about what I'm going to say. We could get rid of all that and just hold the frame for the moment that we're participating in that frame. And this will be especially useful when those challenges come up, when the little proving performative bug creeps up. You could remind yourself, well, I'm in my student frame. I don't have to do that. And when you're in your expert frame and somebody's trying to challenge you, which people will do, whether they know it or not, you could hold your expert frame. So when somebody, you know, and you can remember in this context, generally when people are offering you unsolicited advice, You know, they want to feel good about themselves and they want to feel smart, but you could hold your expert frame and know that, huh, I could take that with a grain of salt or, oh, that's interesting. You have an interesting perspective. Thank you for sharing it. You don't have to turn around and say, oh my God, thank you so much. You've enlightened my whole world. I'm going to do exactly what you said (laughs) because you're holding your expert frame. You know, uh, Johanna, one of my wonderful peers and, and coaching clients had just shared how somebody unsolicited told her, your price point is dumb. They didn't ask her any questions about it. They weren't, you know, they had no idea what frame they were holding. Your price point is dumb. She's like, my price point is dumb. Why? <laughs> and he said, it doesn't end in a seven. It has been proven the price points that end in seven convert the best. She's like, okay, thank you for your contribution. <laughs> thank you for your advice. But if you're holding your expert frame and you hear that advice, you might say, 
huh, I just scrolled Nordstrom and I didn't see a single price that ends in seven. (laughs) Or you might say, that might be true in some situations, but I'm not interested in looking like any, every other marketer under the sun, whatever it is, whatever is authentic to you. But when you know what frame you're holding, you're less likely to second guess yourself when somebody tries to offer advice that they're really just offering so that they feel good about themselves and sound smart and sound like a leader to the group. You don't have to say, I'm going to switch all my price points. (laughs) So they end in a seven now. So you're way more empowered when you know which frame you are holding. When you are leading a group, you want to remind yourself that everything you're doing is for the good of the group. If everything you're doing is for the good of the group and you've determined that tough love is good for the group, you can communicate that. Look, I might what is about to come out of my mouth may sound tough to you and you may feel challenged. But what you're going to experience is that this is for the benefit of the group, that you face your reactions head on, that you feel challenged and see how powerful you are when you move through it. So you can always reiterate that what you do is for the good of the group. And you can remember that taking care of yourself is part of being good to the group. Because if you're a leader of a group or if you're presenting to a group, you need to feel good. Or else the message doesn't get across with as much conviction. It doesn't make as much impact if you feel poorly. You can embed that. You can demonstrate it. I'm going to get a massage before my presentation. Because I know that me feeling good is what's good for the group. Those are all other values and principles that as you work the muscles, they get communicated so much more often. People get an understanding of what you stand for and why. We talked about stages in the sense of setting the table for what a presentation or what a conversation you're going to partake in looks like. There's also stages of conversations themselves where the frame might change, right? So in the beginning of a sales call, you're in diagnostician mode. You're holding the diagnostician frame. Okay, you've learned a lot. You have determined what might be a helpful way you can help the other party, an effective way to help them. All right, we're going to switch the frame. We're in our expert frame now. We're in our doctor frame, our prescribing frame. And now that you've switched that frame, if the other party tries to pull you back, you can be empowered about that. You can say, here is where we're at right now. I have learned this about you. And for this problem, I know you better than you know yourself. (laughs) So here's what I recommend we do. Versus being pulled back to answering all of their questions. You don't have to respond to that. If we're thinking about it in another direction and you're on a sales call, let's say, and the conversation has sort of gotten away from you, 
you've moved out of diagnosis into you're already answering some objections. You find yourself already offering solutions, which is usually a mistake if done too soon. Or if the other party is rattling off how 30 other things went wrong and you're, you're just sort of all over the place, you can retake control. This is what I want to empower you to realize. You can retake control. Some simple language for that is, let's walk it back a little bit. Let's walk it back a little bit. Let's walk it back. And then normally a question following that is good. So you go back to your list of diagnostician questions for them. Let's walk it back a bit. You could also open a loop. We'll dive into that in a little bit, but first, and then move them back where you want to go. You are in control. And you can maintain control. You can regain control even if you lose it a little bit. You don't have to let the boat be at the mercy of the waves. You could put an oar in the water and regain control. You can embed your values into that. Well, it's important. I gained clarity on what you said earlier, so let's walk it back a little bit. Now you've infused a value in there too. And these are all muscles. The more you get used to saying them, the more used you'll be to saying these things. This is important. How do you view the other party? How do you view your audience or your prospect? I believe it's helpful if one of the things you view about them is that they are an empowered person at the other end of the line who is capable of making their own decisions. And they're capable of making the decision that best serves them and where they're at on their journey at this particular moment in time. If you feel that way about the other party, it changes how you respond to their objections, right? Here are some things about objections. One, I don't really think about overcoming objections. I think about how can I coach somebody through an objection? So if I'm applying the coaching frame and somebody is scared about moving forward, even though they're a perfect fit for something, how can I coach them through it? What's the limiting belief down there? What do we got to chip away at? How could I offer a new perspective? Now we're not overcoming objections. We're coaching them through it. If you're an expert and you're providing a service, how can you guide them? How can you coach them through that objection? And how can you maintain that you view them and you could even tell them this as an empowered person who is going to make the decision that best serves them on their journey? And guess what? If you remember that every choice they make is part of their journey, it becomes way less personal to you, which has been very helpful to me. <laughs> because as I've discussed publicly before, I do have a tendency to take things personally. That's because of little Laura <laughs> and some of the things little Laura has gone through. But as long as I remember that the person is going to make the best decision for them, it's not personal to me, yes or no. So I always remember that I view the other party as an empowered person who can make their own decisions, not as a baby that I got to force to do something, not as 
you know, somebody who is not smart enough to make this decision. That's not how I view them. But when I get take things personally and I start trying to prove and I start trying to brute force or overcome objections or I start, you know, why are they not doing this? They're so silly. They're not thinking right. I am not viewing them as that empowered person and everybody is suffering. I'm suffering. They're suffering. That's not empowered. So I run that through my head regularly and I show up in a more powerful energy that people want to be a part of that is magnetic. Another awesome, I think, overarching principle about objections. Generally, I agree with every single objection somebody has to something. Try it out. Agree with it instead of overcoming it. Oh, that's expensive. Yes, it's expensive. Do you want it anyway? (laughs) Is one very handy way to do it. Yes, it's expensive to the wrong person. Hugely expensive to the wrong person. Ooh, it's going to take some time. Yes, it's going to take time. But will it buy you back time in the end? It's scary. Yes, it's scary. But are you excited for when it won't be scary anymore? So just practice that. Run through. What are the the objections I receive? And what does it look like when I agree with all of them? So much more empowered, right? If you are worried, this is, um, I don't know if there's a great transition, but it all relates. (laughs) If you are worried about somebody thinking or feeling some type of way about you doing something, can you communicate that to them? And here's an example that should illustrate this point pretty well. So a lot of you guys know that I'm a member of Joe, uh, Joe Polish's Genius Network. I'm a dear friend of Joe, love Joe. And I had asked both Joe and Nick Peterson, who's also ingenious, to speak at Diamond Day 3. Okay, two people. They both said, yes, we're great. We're groovy. We're flowing. Two other Genius Network members approached me and they asked if they could speak at Diamond Day. And I I want them to speak. I know how powerful they could be for my audience. But I start feeling some type of way. I start worrying. Is Joe going to think that I'm stealing all of his people and putting them on my stage? Right? (laughs) I worry about that. What do I decide to do? Instead of sitting around and worrying about it, I communicate it to Joe. I go tell him directly, empowered communication. I say something to the effect of, hey, Joe, I have no idea if if I'm being crazy, if this is a crazy concern of mine, but I want to let you know this and this, and I'm worried about you feeling like I'm stealing all your people. So let me know if it's okay with you. If for any reason it's not okay, because this is what's most important to me in my interaction with Joe, what's, what's most important to me, Joe, is that you are happy with me. <laughs> so if for any reason you feel even a tinge of, I don't really like that, just tell me, and I won't let the other two people speak. It's not as important to me as our relationship. So I got my values in there, I'm communicating it, all of this. And what does Joe say? He sends me this He could be long in the tooth. This like four minute long voice message. Laura, oh my God, you wouldn't believe how many other people have just taken all of my speakers and never said anything about it. You are in so much integrity. Thank you so much for bringing this up to me. 
I have no problems with it at all. In fact, if there's anything else I could do to serve you and your people, just let me know. So I headed off that concern at the past, at the past. And I didn't wrestle with it too long. I didn't go back and forth in my head of, well, should I feel this way? Should I not? Who cares? I already feel that way. So what could I do about it in a powerful fashion? And I don't try to control every aspect of the situation to protect Joe's feelings. I simply communicate the situation to him and let him decide how he feels about it. So there are a lot of instances where you could borrow from that. You know, this is an industry just like any other where we borrow from each other all the time. I talk about the things Dan has taught me. Joe has taught me. Nick has taught me. Even as here's another quick example. I invited Dan Nicholson uh, and Nick Peterson to be in the Facebook group. And so I explicitly tell them, I am inviting you guys to be in the group because I want you to pay attention to what I'm doing and I want to get your feedback and your mentorship on it. Not because I'm trying to promote my group to you. It's important to me that you know that. <laughs> because a lot of the times when people just get added to a group, it's because the folks want to sell them something, right? So I head off my own concern and I simply communicate them. When, catch yourself, it's a consciousness exercise. When are you feeling worried about something that it might be hugely beneficial for you to just communicate that concern? And if it's helpful for you to say, you know, this may be crazy, this may be totally off the mark, but here's how I'm feeling, then you could go ahead and say that. And then end it with a question generally, right? So that you get that feedback and that response from them. Speaking of questions, question asking is a huge part of empowered communication. And so is responding to questions with questions. It's very helpful. If you get asked a question and you don't want to lapse into performance frame, I have the answer, I know everything. Usually you can return the question with a question to get more clear on what they're asking. And then you might have an answer for them, you might not. But generally, the deeper and the hairier and the scarier the question, the more I implore you to ask it. Who here has felt they suck at small talk? Hate small talk, hate it, mm -mm. right? Huh? High achievers tend to feel this way, right? Because we're like, why are we, why are we talking about this trivial thing? So how do you get around the small talk? You ask the hairy question that's on your mind. Wouldn't you love it if somebody asked you like a hairy, challenging question? It's awesome. And I realized, because I used to suck at asking questions, I would never ask them. And then I learned, you know, you learn, you read some books about how to be a social human being and they tell you, ask questions. But I had a problem with that too, because I felt like, ooh, like the question that popped into my head, it's too deep, it's too personal, it's too scary, I can't ask that. But I reframed it. If that's how I feel, then I must ask it. Then it's the best question to ask. And so often I'll hear as response, ooh, that's a great question. I got to sit, I got to noodle on that. It's complicated. So you could ask questions, yes. And they don't have to be the, 
you know, where are you from? Like, that's fine. <laughs> but they don't have to only be at that surface level. They could go nice and deep. Matt says, wait, can I ask you a question that I have permission? Absolutely. That's awesome. It's like a micro step. How do you micro step your way into asking bigger, hairier questions? Can I ask you a question? It might be crazy. That would get them excited. Ooh, ask me the crazy question. That's way better than, you know, what ad is doing the best. <laughs> to go back to when somebody asks you a question. Instead of saying, I don't know, which you, you can still do sometimes in a powerful way. I'm not sure it's beyond my scope, right? I wish I could help you more, but it's beyond my scope. But what you could also do, because we don't, we probably don't energetically always feel the best if we just say, I don't know. Sometimes I'll quite literally just ask the question back to them. This is good in interpersonal stuff. The example that I, that I use for this is when somebody's like, how can I make it up to you? How can I make it up to you? How can you make it up to me? <laughs> now they're thinking of an answer. They got to get creative. If I got to tell you how to make something up to me, I'm doing all the work. <laughs> how can you make it up to me? Or if somebody's like, What's, what should I do? I'm in this situation. What should I do? You know, one of my favorite ways to respond to that. If you knew what to do, what would you do? All of a sudden, people have their own answers, and I look like a great coach. And I am a great coach because I'm not just trying to prescribe something out of my butt. Guiding them, letting them guide themselves. If you knew, if you knew what to do, what would you do? I don't know what I want. If you knew what you want, what might it be? We're using conditional language there because it takes the pressure off. It makes it so much easier for the brain to begin to generate possible answers if it's all in the conditional frame. So I love returning a question with a question most of the time. And then, of course, when you're asked a question, there's always it depends, which is usually the correct answer. Should my price point end in seven? It depends. <laughs> Have you tested it? <laughs> right? What's the first number? I would argue that the first number of the price point is more important than the last one. And of course, you could embed your values into that. You know, I believe that in different contexts, we come to different answers. So let me ask you, blank. Good? We still rocking? Awesome. Awesome. I believe I've got about two more points and then our summaries. Awesome. I'm glad that this is, this is valuable to you guys. When somebody apologizes to you, I learned this in, in therapy. <laughs> when somebody apologizes to you, especially like a loved one or somebody you have a meaningful, important relationship with and Something has happened, you know, so some mistake was made or something happened that hurt you and the other party loves you and they're apologizing to you because they love you. Practice, I offer this to you, 
practice not quickly going to, it's okay. It's okay. Instead, try on, I accept your apology. So much more powerful, right? Versus, it's okay. You did this shitty thing to me. It's okay. It's not okay. That's why they're apologizing for it. We could all feel okay now. We could get back to business. But instead of saying it's okay, try on saying I accept your apology. Now, you don't need to do this if somebody bumps into you and it's a little, it's a little nothing. You know, you don't have to do that all the time. But I have found it hugely, I feel so much more energetically satisfied and seen when I say I accept your apology versus it's okay. Here's another little phrase that will be helpful. So Chris Voss, another friend of mine, former lead FBI hostage negotiator, best-selling author of Never Split the Difference, cool dude, Chris Voss. You know, he has this whole practice in the negotiation skills that he teaches called mirroring. And first of all, it's worth noting that repeating what somebody says back to them is a very useful tool in communication. People feel understood. Even if you haven't specifically demonstrated understanding, but you've repeated the language back to them. So that's level one. That's that's useful, right? In fact, there was a study that showed servers in restaurants who simply repeated the order back got like 30% higher tips than those who were just like, okay, I got it. I got your order. So... Look for those opportunities where you can repeat back what somebody else has said to you, especially on those diagnostician type of sales calls. Okay, you said that this part of the offer isn't converting well and you would like to see it converting here. I have that right, yes? And then they go, yes. Very powerful. They feel feel super good about it. Now, another layer to that is using the language of it seems like It sounds like blank. And so here's an example we used for some of my clients who have sent proposals, who have been following up, but they haven't gotten any response. Well, what does that seem like? It seems like you guys are no longer interested in working together. That's totally cool. No no harsh feelings. I still love you. You know, just let me know if I have that right. What's going to happen so often when you say that? No, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. We are still interested in working with you. I'm sorry. I'm just a total mess. I got completely distracted, (laughs) right? You're not accusing anybody of anything. And that's why you can step into this with a confident energy that you're not acting like a brat. You're not acting needy. It's none of that. You're simply reiterating what it seems like. It seems like you guys aren't interested in this anymore. Let me know if I have that right. Way more empowered than just following up again. (laughs) Just follow, just bumping this. No, that's, that's not useful to anybody. That's annoying, right? But now you're telling the other party what it seems like to you. You're asking for their confirmation on it. Sidebar. You know, one of the first love letters I ever wrote. So there was a boy, I lived in a, an apartment building when I was growing up. And there was like a guy, <laughs> yeah, a boy, who lived in my apartment building. 
on the same floor, like a few doors down. And I had the biggest crush on him. He was such a degenerate, like bad kid. He was in like the bad kid school and like all this stuff. But I had the biggest crush on him. And so I write him a love letter and I like slip it under his door and days pass, days pass, no response. I get so mad. I go over, I bang on the door. He opens it. I'm like, I wrote you this beautiful letter. Always fancied myself a pretty good writer. I wrote you this beautiful letter. You said nothing. And he looks at me and he goes, you didn't ask any questions. You didn't ask any questions. I had nothing to respond to. I will never, one of the best lessons in direct response I ever got. If you don't ask a question, they have nothing for sure to respond to. So if you want to help guarantee that you're going to get a response to something, ask a question, give them something to answer. So that's why we don't just say, it seems like you don't want to do this anymore, period, send. Plus that energetically comes off like a bit pissy, right? Just let me know if I have that right. In fact, cut just, because my next lesson is going to be stop saying the word just. Let me know if I have that right. Do I have that right? Bake in the question there so it helps guarantee the response. Just like Jesse taught me back in like <laughs> 1999. <laughs> Bake in the question so you get a response. Remember the use of it seems like or it sounds like when you're having intense one-on-one -on -one conversations with people who matter to you. It seems like you're upset about this or it seems like you want us to do this. Is that right? Do I have that right? It's a deeper layer of the mirroring principle. Now you're not just repeating the words back to them, but you're interpreting their words through your lens and you're kicking it back to them, asking for confirmation that you truly understand what they're saying, right? And it gives them the opportunity. Again, you're not trying to control their emotions for them. It gives them the opportunity to let you know if you're right, if you're wrong, if you're mostly right and where you're really at. But when you say it seems like, or it sounds like, it's not in this accusatory way. So I love that little opening phrase for saying potentially challenging things. It seems like, it sounds like. There are many contexts of life where white lies are okay. I also learned this in therapy. <laughs> Now, I'm not talking about to your customers or to your audience or to any of that stuff, but I'm talking about those personal relationships where I'm going to be fully honest about everything might not serve the system of the relationship, okay? In my case, my mother, bless her, is a bit of a pain in the ass. And as an example, she gets jealous if I spend time with my husband, Stefan's family, she gets jealous. And so for better or for worse, she acts some type of way. She becomes a little bit verbally abusive to me. She might even send a message to his mom. She could just go a little bit crazy about it. So why the hell is it appropriate for me and for the system of our relationship to tell her I'm spending Thanksgiving with Stefan's family? A white lie is okay. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? We're just staying home. 
She doesn't need to know. Do you know how much energy I have saved? How much conflict I have avoided with a little white lie? That's protecting yourself. That's using empowered communication as self-care. It's for the good of everything else. So rather than be all-encompassing dichotomous, be hugely transparently authentic, tell the truth all of the time, no. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So I offer that to anybody who may have situations where, oh, actually a little white lie would totally solve this problem. You are empowered to do that. And sometimes not responding is okay for the same reasons in those same situations. You do not always need to respond. My last point before we summarize, stop saying the word just. I hate this word. I'm like a bloodhound to this word. Just following up, just wanted to check in. We do that to soften. We want to soften everything, right? But the whole point of being an empowered, strong communicator is not to soften stuff, but to amplify the authentic stuff, to amplify your values, your thoughts, your principles, whatever you want to communicate. So check yourself every time you put in the word just, and it's very easy. Just delete it. Just delete it. Delete it. (laughs) Simply delete it. You might, might take a minute, might have to practice it. Might look at the sentence without the word just and be like, oh God. But it's gonna come across to the other party as so much more powerful. Damn, this person knows what they're doing. And they know why they're doing it. So I encourage you to play around with deleting, simply deleting the word just. To summarize a few of the key points, and I will share uh, my link to the notes in our Facebook group. Remember and set and decide with intention what frame you're holding for certain important interactions or presentations or events you're participating in. What frame are you holding? What stage are you setting? How are you preparing the table for the conversation? What stages will you move into? during the course of certain conversations or certain interactions. Make sure all of your questions are answered before you answer a question. I just had a client of mine, somebody asked her, what's your rate for this? (laughs) She was like, what should I say? What's your rate for acting in a VSL slash voiceover, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, what's the product? (laughs) What's the price point? Is it a voiceover or are you acting on camera? Big difference. All these questions. And she's like, oh, yes, Laura, thank you so much. I forgot I could ask questions. (laughs) So simply reminding you that you can ask questions before you answer any will make you much more powerful. How are you supposed to just turn around and say a rate? You don't know anything. And you, could, you don't need to, in this case, to me, it's so abundantly clear, but you could bake a value or a principle in there. Well, it's important to me that I get really clear understanding on what you need, so I'm going to ask you a few questions. So make sure your questions are answered before you answer a question. And you could ask yourself, 
if I was playing my game in this social situation, if I was playing my game, if I was doing things my way, what would I say here? Would I really put on the performative dance, you know, or might I even say something like, yeah, I don't like to rattle off like credentials. I'd rather you just see what I could do or be myself as an example. That's going to vary from person to person, but the question is helpful. If I, if you were playing your game, what would you say? What would you do? So in the Facebook group, hopefully everybody is a member of that group. If not, it's called Mindset and Messaging Mastery on Facebook. We will do our six word updates, which I learned from Dan Nicholson. Of course, I told him I'm going to take six word updates. Is that okay? <laughs> he said, yes. He's, his dream is to see these brilliant ideas of his diffuse and take on their own lives in different contexts. Anyway, so the six word update is a takeaway, a thought, some, a summarization, something you're going to chew on based on the material that we have covered today. And it could be a question. It could be anything. A lot of us are writers. So I tend to notice that our six word updates are really, really, really good. <laughs> a few uh, derivations higher than the mean, the average six word updates. I have two courses available that take a lot of the principles we talked about and go more in depth. One is called Unrivaled Messaging. That's for personal brands. So it's got templates in there if you want to see how you could bake in your values and your principles and the things you embed into more social media content, emails, presentations, et cetera. And the other is called Sales Conversation Mastery, where you get all of the diagnostic questions I like to use, how to move from one stage of the sales conversation to the next, so on and so forth. Both of those are available at lauracatella.com if you're curious to learn more.